many here have ever gone on a mission trip? How many have gone on a mission trip? How many have never ever gone on a mission trip in your life? You've never been on, and that's okay if you've never been on a mission trip. That's okay. Actually, everybody's been on a mission trip. If you live in Garland, you're on a mission field. I guarantee. We've all been on a mission trip that way. But I, I mean, uh, one of the things about, and I know it, it's not a, a major necessity in any way, shape, or form. But when you go on a mission foreign field, there's something that go. Uh, for instance, when we've gone to, and we've supported missions in Cuba before, we've supported missions in. Cambodia now and and also in uh, another city I can't even I can't no it's not Phnom Penh it's it's next to it's south of Thailand they're right on the Malaysia Peninsula there I can't think of the name of it but anyway the the point is it's amazing when you go over and especially they they have such a tremendous missions ministry going over there reaching uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of Cambodians uh, for the Lord. What was so amazing, i, I got to just share a little quick testimony uh, on this. You know, Chuck, years ago, back in 1993, went into Cambodia, and in Cambodia, they have a uh, kingdom. They have kings and queens there. They have a king of Cambodia and a queen. But, but it's, it's primarily a Buddhist nation, and it's it was forbidden for anybody to bring Christianity or bring the Bible. It's forbidden to teach any other religion other than Buddhism. But Chuck went in, and he really felt the Lord called him to go into Phnom Penh. And he went in, and he, he didn't go in secretly. He went in, and he talked to the city officials. But this is the Lord gave him wisdom because the nation was in a place of recruitment recovery and still in recovery from the Pal Pot regime that took place back in the early or late 70s and early 80s when the nation was destroyed through that communist uh, takeover at that time and that was in recovery but the Lord gave Chuck wisdom to go into the nation and go into the talk to the officials about educating them and both both Chuck and Cindy are qualified teachers, they, they used to teach here in America, but they went over there and they asked their officials if they could bring uh, the language of English and teach English to their college students. And, and, and Cambodia was just absolutely thrilled. Yes, we would love to have qualified American teachers to teach English. And then Chuck drop the little bomb. He says, well, here's the condition. We will teach English for free in Phnom Penh if you let us teach the Bible. That's the condition. Well, they start thinking about it, and they said, okay, we'll let you teach the Bible. Well, guess what happened? Now, this is amazing. They start teaching the Bible, and guess what all these kids are doing? They're learning English, and they start getting saved. I mean, they really, we're not talking about just some, we're talking about salvations by the hundreds. These kids are coming to the Lord. Well, over, now they've been there since 1993, almost 20 years now, they've been there uh, teaching the gospel. And what's happened in the 20-year time frame here that they've been teaching, the kids that have been coming out, that have been graduating, 
that they've been educated, but they've noticed the, the government, the city officials have noticed that the Christian kids, young people, have become a far better quality, more productive individuals in society than the Buddhists. The Buddhists go around in their orange robes and ask for alms all day. One of the uh, leaders said recently, and Chuck told me this, he says recently one of the leaders says we need to kind of follow suit with these Christians from that's called the New Life Fellowship. New Life Fellowship Foundation, that's the name of their organization and their church there in Cambodia. And they said, we need to follow the example of these Christians. The Buddhists need to follow the Christian examples. They don't just ask for help, they actually contribute and serve and work in society. I mean, it has such a positive impact in the city of Phnom Penh. And by the way, that's, that's who we are supporting, is Chuck's work there in Phnom Penh. It is having a dramatic effect in so much as that uh, the government is, uh, have welcomed them in the quality of people, not just getting saved, but just in the city and the nation of Cambodia, their leaders. They're, uh, let me just tell you something. A lot of the leaders in these third world countries are very, very corrupt. They're leaders that are selfish, they're power-driven, money-driven. Many of them are immoral. But when you get these young people get saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, filled with God, men of integrity, men and women who understand what it is to serve and work and have those qualities, all of a sudden, the nation begins to prosper. And that's what's happening. And these Buddhist leaders are seeing a difference. Here's our Buddhist people. All they do is take, take, take. But these Christians are serving, they're, much, they're not lying. They're men and women of integrity. They actually produce and they're productive in our community. And it has made such amaz amazing impact in that society. And when you go over to Cambodia, you will see this, and it's just, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's a trip worth taking. Anyway, done with commercial. I just had to tell you. Get that out. But... Uh, by the way, do you know that's what the gospel does? Do you know that the gospel actually restores the quality of integrity and life of a community? Are we with us here today? I, mean, I don't know about you. It's not education. You can be an educated derelict. You can be an educated individual with a lot of knowledge, but still be a very immoral man. The Bible says in Proverbs that righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a reproach to all. It didn't say that technology or smarts exalts the It says righteousness exalts the nation. And that's, that's what we need. We need right. How many of you believe we need righteousness in America? We need that in America. Oh, Pastor Ray, I just think we need to, you know, separation of church and state. We need to keep quiet and just shut up. Well, no, no, that's not, that's not what God's Word said. We're to be light and salt in the earth. Amen? Well, this morning, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. The Lord has impressed on me that we're going to just turn uh, a corner here. I'm going to start a series on pursuing the presence of the Lord. How many of you felt the presence of the Lord this morning? You know, God's presence is one of the most important things that we can have. 
Now, I, I want to show you some scriptures as you look over on the overhead this morning. I want to take you through some scriptures, and I want to talk to you about God's presence. What happens when we come into the presence of God? Do you know that we, when we meet together this morning, do you know that God actually wants to meet with you? And there's something about God's people. There are many people today that believe that we don't need to go to church. They believe, you know, well, we got TV and uh, we got internet church now. We got a lot of people, they stay home and they watch church and they just hear the message. But I want you to understand that there is a purpose for the gathering of believers in the physical sense. God never told us to just watch TV uh, and stay home. There is a reason why God wants you to come together and literally be physically connected and in touch with other people. Now the Bible says that Jesus is the head of His body. You are the body of Jesus Christ. Turn to your neighbor and say, wow, you're part of the body. Amen? You're part of the body of Jesus. Now, one really important thing is that you're not part of the body unless you're truly born again. If you're not born again, the Bible says you are outside the body or outside of the kingdom. Jesus told Nicodemus one day, he said, no man can see the kingdom unless he's born again. That word see there means to understand. That's why you have a lot of people today. A person who is not born again, truly not born again, has no reason to be here or in any other local gathering. They don't see the significant importance. Now, I understand there are people that go to church out of religious duty, out of works. That's not, we're not talking about doing it out of works because you have to. The, when, when you're truly born again, you're truly filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, 1 John 4, 3, it says, We know that we pass from death unto life because we love the brethren. In other words, when you've passed into life from death, there is a desire to be connected to the family. There's a desire for relationship. See, our Heavenly Father is a relational Father. The reason why He created man back in Genesis 2 and Genesis 1, when God created man and formed man out of the dust of the earth, He didn't do it just because He wanted to watch us little creatures do our thing all day long. The reason why he created Adam, the Bible says that when he created Adam, and Adam walked in the cool of the evening and the, in the day, and he walked, he, it says that he walked in the garden in the presence of the Lord. Adam had a relationship with God. God actually desires a relationship with his people. But he didn't desire it just with Adam. He desired a relationship with many people. The reason why you were born, you were created right now, is because your Heavenly Father, the Bible says, before the foundations of the world, in Psalms 139, you were created, the Bible says, Revelations 4, it says that you were created for His pleasure. 
Do you know that you bring your Heavenly Father pleasure? I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, you please God. Turn to your neighbor and say, you please God. God is well pleased with you. He likes you. And you know what? He destroyed the mold after he created you. There's nobody just like you. He created you for his pleasure. That's what it says. And all things that were created were created for his pleasure. And he created you in his image. You're created in his likeness. When God created Adam and Eve, they were created in the perfect image of God. And God created you for your life, your body, to literally become a temple or a tabernacle for His presence. You were created for the very presence, the very conscious presence of the indwelling Spirit of the living God. And to reach the pinnacle of that kind of fulfillment where we are walking and living with His presence dwelling, it brings the fullness of joy. But when sin entered into the human race in Genesis 3, the Bible says that the serpent, Satan, began to question and begin to mock Adam and Eve, and they begin to question what God had spoken. And by the way, that's what Satan does today. Satan always brings allegation and question and causes people uh, to come into confusion. His, his number one attempt... Satan's number one attempt is to get you to question God. Get you, because the Bible says that Satan is the author of confusion. Wherever Satan is, there's confusion. Satan spreads disorder. He hates order. He hates anyone knowing the truth. Satan loves churches that don't preach the Word. The devil loves churches where all they do is they have a little party, a little picnic, a little fun only. Well, and by the way, we, I believe we can have fun too. But, but they're, they're not pursuing the Lord. But when Adam and Eve were in the garden, and the Bible says that the serpent began to beguile Eve and with his questions and, and, the, and, and bring questions against what God had told Adam. He says, of all the trees in the garden you may freely eat, but not of this tree which is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day that you eat of this tree, you make the choice to eat of the tree. It says, you shall surely die. And by the way, people today are still eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is when you become a critic. When you begin to exalt your ways against the knowledge of His ways. The Bible says in Psalms 24 or Isaiah 24 that there will come a day on the earth when men will take the Word of God and cast God's words behind their back. And they will say, I don't need God. I don't need God. I just need my human intellect. That's humanism, secularism, humanism today exalts their knowledge against the knowledge of God. That's where you get those that are agnostics and atheists, and that is on the rise in America today. By the way, folks, the things that are happening in America are not just wrestling against flesh and blood. This is a spiritual battle for the control of the destiny of this nation. 
That's what's happening here. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But in the day that Adam and Eve took of the fruit, and when they disobeyed God, some things happened. The first thing that happened, the Bible says, is that their eyes were opened. And they began to become aware that they were naked. Everyone say naked. When you are in living in sin, there is a sense of being uncovered and naked. And it says they hid themselves, Adam and Eve, when they discovered their nakedness. It says they ran and they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. The first thing that happens when we live in sin, we discover our sinfulness. All of a sudden, the, the last place you want to be on earth is a church. And I don't want to be in a place where they're worshiping. Yeah, yeah. Going to that place, they're lifting their hands, they're praising God. It's weird in that place. They're worshiping God. Well, you know why? Because worship brings the presence of God. And when the presence of God begins to come into the place, the worship of God, the presence of God always, God's presence always opens your eyes. The Bible says that when they, were, they ran and they hid themselves, and then the Bible says the Lord came in the evening and he, he said, Adam, Adam, where are you? The Bible says that Adam was hiding. Do you know that Adam is still hiding today? There are a lot of Adams still hiding. They're running and hiding. You'll ask them, hey, you want to come to church? No, I, I don't need the house of God. I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm, I got a busy life. I, got, I have no time for God. I have no time. Well, they're running from the presence of God. A healthy person, a healthy Christian, a healthy, everyone say healthy. Healthy Christians love the presence of God because they're rightly related. You know what? If I was not in a healthy relationship with John Stanson, if I was not in a healthy relationship, you know what I would do? Avoid him. I would not like to be around John Stanson. If I saw John Stanson sitting on this side, I will go and sit on this side. Because I want to avoid, if, if, I, if John and I are not talking, if we're not on good terms, I don't want to be around him. And the, the other thing about John is he asks too many questions. And I don't like to be around people who just, Asking too many questions, because I don't want to answer those questions. And see, that's what a lot of people don't realize. Is that when you're not in a healthy relationship, you, don't want, you have this do not disturb sign that says, leave me alone, I don't want you to get too nosy in my life. Because frankly, I don't want to change. Say, I don't want to change, I don't want you to get too close, I just want to find a church. I want to just find a church that's tolerant. That just kind of doesn't preach too hard on sin. And just, just kind of tells me that everything's beautiful in its own way. Just, like, just make it feel good. And that's, that's a dangerous gospel. How many here have ever gone to a doctor? Well, the rest of you are liars. Are you... Can you imagine going to the doctor and you have a problem in your body? Doctor, i got a pain on my thigh. It hurts. Ah. 
Oh, you do? Yes, I got a horrible pain. Oh, I'll tell you what. I will just prescribe you narcotics and we will take the pain away. Now, I know, maybe there are some people that go for those kind of doctors. But that's not, that doctor's not going to help you. No, the doctor's going to say, let's put you under a radar. Let's, let's look at the, let's take some x-rays. No! Don't touch it. I don't want you to look under the x-rays. I don't want to see what's inside of me. Just make me feel better. I don't know about you, but wouldn't you think that would be kind of a crazy way to talk to a doctor? I don't know about you, but if I got an ache and a pain, you know what? I'm, I'm, doctor, I am paying you money to tell me the truth. How many of you want to pay the doctor? How many of you want truth out of a doctor? Would you want truth out of a doctor? Or would you want to, you know, I heard a song. I was in an athletic room one day, and I heard this song. I couldn't believe what I heard. I was in it. Yes, you remember the song. I must have told this story before. I heard this song, and I said, this little song coming over the, I was in an athletic, and I heard, heard this woman singing, tell me lies, tell me lies, tell me sweet little lies. I couldn't believe I heard a song like that. How could anybody even write a song like, tell me lies, tell me lies, tell me sweet little lies. How ridiculous. I, I don't know how anybody could even think of a words like that. But that's, that's a lot of people today. Just tell me lies. Tell me lies. Don't tell me the truth. Just tell me lies. That's dangerous. When we go to the doctor, you know, I, we want the doctor to tell us the truth. But then we also want the doctor to help us recover. Lord, help, doctor, help me. How do I get healed? Don't you believe that's important, healing? Don't, don't just expose the problem, but help me understand how I can get restored. Those two things is what Jesus wants to do. But here's, here's the thing. In order for us to understand his presence, we need to understand that, there, that Jesus, when he died on the cross, he didn't just die to take your sins away. But he did do that. Our sins were a problem, and he became the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. But he died on the cross so you could live in his presence, and you could live as a holy, as a righteous man and woman of God. He died so that you could become the righteousness of God in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.19, the Bible says, He who knew no sin became sin, that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ. He doesn't just declare you uh, free from sin. He declares you righteous and holy. In His sight, everyone say, I am righteous and holy in His sight. Now that doesn't mean I don't have temptations. Oh, we have temptations and we can have some thoughts attack us. But do you know the Bible says, He who is in Christ cannot sin. 1 John chapter 3, verse 6 and 8. Read it. Well, pastor, are you saying that I'm not capable? No, you can sin accidentally. You can, be, you can sin by being smeared. What I mean by that is there's times in your life, but, but the, what it means is that you cannot willfully sin. When you're truly born again, a person who's truly born again has no desire to sin. And you may say, well, where did that come from? That came from the Holy Spirit living in you. 
If you can sit here and say, Pastor Ray, I love lying. I love st- I, I'm a shoplifter, and I love to shoplift, and I don't care. And I'm still a believer going to heaven. I, I remember having another person uh, years ago in this church said, you know, Pastor Ray, you know, I'm married, and I'm, I have a girlfriend on the side, and I think Jesus allows it because we're under grace. And I said, brother, you are in deception. The Bible says that all fornicators, all liars, all drunkards, those who rail and slander will not see the kingdom of God. Oh, you're legalistic. I don't receive that. Well, amen. Maybe that's why New Life Fellowship is so small. You see, I'm not interested in growing a large church. I'm interested in growing a quality church Because you know what someday, folks? Pastor Ray gets to stand before God. Not you, like I do. John, come up here. i got to pull you up here with me. See us? And and David, you come here too. I'm going to pull three guys up here. We're, We're elders at New Life Fellowship. We are going to receive greater judgment than you. We will stand before God with greater damnation than you. Because it is us who have to give an account for how we were watchmen on the wall, how we were overseers, how we fed the flock, how we shepherded the flock. Not you, but us. And some people say, oh, those pastors, they got too much power. Oh, you really think we do? We don't have any power. But what God has laid on us is a lot of responsibility. And so we have to stand before God. Thanks, guys. We have to stand before God and give an account for what we said to you, how we've lived our life before you and before Him. And I am not really looking forward to that all the time. Because Pastor Ray doesn't do everything right. But I thank God for His mercy. But it's a a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's, it's, It's a very serious matter. Some people think, well, pastor, aren't you a pastor just because you wanted a career of being a pastor? No, this is not a career move. I did not choose being a pastor as a career. It never is a career. It's a calling. And a calling means you do it not because you get paid. You do it because there's a mandate on your life. I am marked by him. It's a mark. You can't shake the mark. I can try to do anything else. In fact, there may be a day where Pastor Ray, there will be. There will be a day where I won't be pastoring new life. But I will still be a pastor. That never leaves. I may not pastor this church, but I will always have the call of a pastor on my life. And I will be responsible for the allotted time that he gives me to serve in this position. But there's a responsibility as a pastor, as a feeder of the flock, as a shepherd, as an overseer. God puts that mandate on our life. And we will give an account for what we say, how we live, and how we act. That's a serious, serious matter. A lot of people don't know that, but we take that very serious. But when it comes to the presence of God, God is concerned. He wants us to understand what happens. Well, let's look at some scripture. Psalms 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow 
of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, my fortress, my God, in Him will I trust. Verse 9 and 10. Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil, everyone say no evil, shall come or befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling place. You know why? Because sin, sickness, and plagues cannot exist in the presence of God. It says, he who dwells in the... Now, why does he call it, the psalmist call it, a secret place? It's a secret place because the natural man does not perceive the things of the Spirit of God. It's blind. They're blind to the things of the presence of God. But it's not a secret place to those who know the Lord. To you who know the Lord, it's not a secret place. It's the greatest place. It's an awesome place. But he who dwells, Everyone say dwell. I want to dwell in the secret place. Shall abide under. That means covering. God's going to bring covering in my life. One of the things I will ask people who are going through perpetual and constant problems, I will ask them, are you dwelling? Where are you dwelling? Are you dwelling in the secret place? Are you walking with the Lord? Or are you doing your thing? Where, where are you dwelling? Really important passage here. Another passage, powerful. Psalm 1611, David said this, You will show me the path of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy. Everyone say fullness of joy. How many of you could use a little more joy? Praise God. Praise God, Lord, I could use more. He said, in your what? Where's the joy come? The presence. In your presence. Is, and that not only the fullness of joy, and at your right hand, now the word right hand, the idea of the right hand is the right hand of favor. God always, the right hand, the left hand always speaks of cursing, but he calls the right hand at your right hand. So in other words, I want to be under God's favor. At your right hand are what? Pleasures. Everyone say pleasure. Pleasures forever. Didn't just say pleasure for today. It says pleasure forever. In other words, God wants to bring pleasure. He wants your life to be an abundant life. He has abundant pleasure. He has fullness of joy. He wants you to have full joy, lots of pleasure. I'm kind of getting the idea God wants us to have a good time. I believe God wants us to, he wants to bring the best out of life for people. And here's the key. Those who understand the path of life. The path of life in your presence. Can you say amen? amen. Acts 3.19, notice what the Bible says. Repent. Everyone say this, repent. Amen. Now that simply means to change the way you think. In other words, I'm going to have a readjustment. I'm going to change the way I'm thinking about life. That means I'm going to line up. Everyone say line up. Line up with the kingdom of God. Therefore, and be converted. It didn't say repent, therefore, and just go to church. It said be converted. Conversion, that means, I mean, we're talking about a massive renewing of your life. That your sins may be blotted out. Now, he's not talking about repent, stop. He doesn't mean to stop doing bad things and try hard to be a good Christian. That's not what repentance means. Repentance means to position yourself 
to receive the grace. You need to position yourself to receive the grace. You need to be in position where you can receive His goodness, where you can receive the truth that makes you free so that your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I had a person in my office not too long ago said, Pastor Ray, I am burned out. I am so tired. I asked him one question. Have you been refreshed in the presence of the Lord? It's been weeks, Pastor, since I've read my Bible. I haven't even cracked my Bible. I hardly even pray. I said, well, no wonder you're burned out. You're not spending time in His presence. See, the presence of the Lord gives us refreshing. How many of you like to be refreshed? See, when you leave here today, you should be refreshed. You should be blessed and refreshed. And you should be lifted up. And it's because you've repented. Now, repentance doesn't mean, okay, I'm going to go home and I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'll start going to church. I'll be a better person. I'll stop cussing, stop swearing. I won't drink beer anymore. I'll stop cussing. I'll stop thinking dirt. No, so, wait, if you get into that mode of thinking, you're going under the law. You're coming back under the law. And by the way, you won't last till Monday. But what you do need to do is repenting means, okay, Lord, I'm going to change the way I view you. You're my Father. You're not a judge that I have to work to please. You're my Father who's accomplished everything. And I just have to open my mouth and drink in all that you've said. And I will walk in that truth. I'm walking in the truth that I'm forgiven. I'm walking in the truth that I'm accepted. I walk in the truth that I've been made righteous and holy. I receive your forgiveness. I embrace the goodness of God. God's goodness has made me a good person. I'm a father. I'm a wise father. I have wisdom. I have knowledge. I have understanding. Oh, pastor, that's arrogant. No, it's not arrogant. You are receiving. You've just had a download of the Holy Spirit. You're walking in the power of the knowledge of what the Holy Spirit brings alive into your life. God doesn't want you to walk around with some kind of false ailment. Oh, Lord, I'm not worthy. Oh, I'm just a beggar. Oh, I'm a horrible person. Oh, God, you died for such a scumbag like me. Oh. No, that's not an amen. We don't want that to happen. <laughs> oh, okay, praise God. <laughs> I, I just want you to understand... But, but there's so many Christians, they, they think they're righteous by knocking themselves down. No, you're actually giving more strength to the powers of darkness by that. The devil wants you to think you're bad, you're horrible. Jesus had to really go, he really had to reach down low to die for some scumbag like you. It's so we, we actually, we have this false sense of humility by thinking, oh, since I can really put myself down, I hope God understands that I'm really humble. No, really, it's pride in reverse. You, you're, trying to be, you're trying to be humble by self-abasement. I remember years ago in Mexico City, I was preaching. Right in the, during the message, 
A young teenage boy comes in the back door and he's walking in on his knees, crawling on his knees, and behind his knees was blood. And in Mexico City, and if you, in Mexico, you know, it's a strong religious city, very dominant works, Catholicism, and, and religion, religion dominates that kind of thinking, around the world, in fact. It's very appealing. Do you know why works is very appealing that way? Because it makes you think that you can earn your righteousness with God. But it's a lie. You can't earn it. You'll never earn it. You'll never be good enough. But he was crawling and he was weeping. And, and I, w I had an interpreter, and I'm speaking in, uh, a message. And so I, I just stopped preaching. I went down to this young man, and I, I said, I, I want you to stand up. And I said this to, through an interpreter. I said, your sins are already forgiven. And he said, no, no, they're not. I'm too bad. I'm too evil. I'm too... I said, no, your sins are forgiven. You know the, the problem today with people hearing the gospel? It's too good to be true. It's so good they can't receive. The, it's too good and it's too simple. They don't under... They can't, it's got to be more complicated. You've got to give us more rules. We need more laws. You've got to make it hard. You've got to make them cry. You get it. You've got to make them burn. No, that, that's, that's not the way you get saved. That's the way you go to hell, actually, because it, we're not saved through works of righteousness. I went to that young man. I said, Jesus has paid the price for your sin. And he thought by his bleeding knees, bleeding, and all the pain, he thought he could somehow earn merit with God and obtain mercy. And I said, I hate to tell you, but all you got out of this partner is just a bad knees. And it's again, a, bleed, a, lot of, a lot of blood loss and bleeding knees. It's not going to help your salvation or help. Jesus has already paid the price. Here's the point. For you to do anything to earn your salvation through that works basically says that what Jesus did on the cross is null and void. It means nothing. If what he did is not sufficient, what you're really saying is what you did isn't good enough. I have to add to it. And see, that's dangerous. Because what it is, it becomes presumptuous sin. Now you're presuming on him. Because what he, when Jesus died on the cross, and when he said, it is finished, that means... That the, the work of salvation, everything from the law and the prophets, was fulfilled, ratified, completed at the cross. And Jesus paid in full your complete salvation. And not only did he pay in full, but he calls you righteous. He calls you a holy priesthood. He calls you a holy people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation unto him. And when he sees you, the Bible says in Hebrews 10, that your sins he will remember no more. Yes. Past, present, and future. Your sins cannot be remembered. Now you re well, why do I remember them then, Pastor Ray? Well, God allows you to remember them so you learn. But he wants you to know he doesn't see you in sin anymore. He sees you with a smile because the Son has taken your place. And the Bible says he has spoiled principalities and powers. 
Amen. And made an open show of them publicly. The last scripture, and I'm going to close with this because our time. It says, I indeed baptize you with water. This is John the Baptist speaking about the coming Savior. Into repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand. That, that, that was a tool, by the way, that those who harvested wheat would separate the chaff from the kernel or the wheat. And what, what John is saying is the purpose of God's presence is when God comes in His power, in His presence, there's going to be a cleansing. How many of you know God's presence can bring cleansing? How many here have ever experienced the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Conviction is not condemnation. Conviction is when the Lord in His loving presence begins to show you His goodness and His grace. And He lets you know that you no longer are subject to a life of sin or subject to the lies of the enemy. You can repent. He will thoroughly cleanse the threshing floor. That means He's going to come into His house and He's going to help you and me discern the difference between the clean and the unclean. How many of you know we serve a holy God? Now, he's already positionally made us holy and clean. But then he tells us to repent. In other words, now that I've made you clean and holy, I want you now to walk in holiness. I want you to recognize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and you are to guard your heart. You are to recognize that your body... See, God's, God doesn't take your choice or your will away. He says, I want you now to maintain and I want you to steward your body and your life by walking worthy of the calling wherewith you are called. And it says, and he will gather his wheat into the barn and he will burn up. Everyone say, burn up. The chaff with unconscionable fire. And thank God he's already burned it up. He's already burned the sin. He's already burned that wrong, bad nature. Some of us, we might have a temper problem. Some of us might have had a lust problem. Do you know that Jesus has already burned up that nature in you and you are now new creatures in Christ Jesus because of the fire of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Praise God. Good preaching. Amen? Praise God. Well, let's bow our heads.